Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, church. I pray you're doing well this morning. I'm grateful to be here with you. Um, my name is Pastor Chris. Pastor Jason is with his bride. Uh, celebrating um, some anniversary stuff, so grateful for the ability to be here um, with you, grateful that he, he gets that time to spend uh, with Miss Sherry and just their time together, um, grateful for, for this church in so many ways, and uh, grateful just to be able to celebrate our amazing God, uh, just the worship of this morning, and, and, and as we go and continue this time of worship, we're going to worship our amazing God uh, through his word, and before we do, I uh, just want to remind us that we are part of the busiest time of the year now. Um, Christmas is the busiest season, busiest holiday uh, in the world. It's estimated that $1.2 trillion will be spent on Christmas uh, through gifts, through traveling, uh, through food. Um, it seems a quite large number when we are goal for $10,000 to go to Lottie Moon as, as a church. Um, you know, the culture will tell us how to prepare. Uh, prepare. The culture will tell us how to prepare uh, for this busy time of the year. Uh, they'll tell us to go ahead and make a budget. Um, you should have started buying Christmas presents a long time ago. But if you haven't bought them yet, start buying them now. Um, make sure that you have that budget. Make sure that you declutter your home um, and then go ahead and reclutter it with all the Christmas decorations. Uh, make sure you have all your lists together, you know, your shopping list, your food list, your grocery list, your guest list, your mailing list, and then make sure you got your list for your list, right, because you don't want to get um, disorganized. So make sure everything's organized, everything's together. Um, it's a busy time of the year. And then the American Psychological Association would say that 38% of people that were surveyed, 38% said that stress has been increased during this holiday season. Um, and this stress would lead to physical illnesses, depression, anxiety, and substance misuse. Um, and the reason behind this stress is a lack of time, uh, financial pressure, gift giving, and family gatherings. Some of you are just stressed right now um, talking about all of this. Um, you know, but when we look to the Word of God, or we even look and reflect on um, our Advent Bible reading that we've started for the, the church, for, for our body here, you would look to the Word of God, and it's a total different message, a total different way of preparing for Christmas we would see in Scripture, we would see in the Word of God. Um, but many of us, um, including myself at times, can get caught up in the current of our culture around this holiday, can get caught up in wanting to make sure that we give a better gift than we did last time, make sure that we do have everyone on our mailing list and we know exactly who we're going to mail things out to and we probably will, will buy some extra just in case we miss somebody. Um, but the reality is, is that God's word gives us a different message. And God, God's word prepares us in different ways for Christmas. In today's message, um, I've entitled it Gospel-Driven Christmas. 
And so if we're going to have a gospel-driven Christmas, we've got to look at things a little differently. We've got to look at the Word of God and not culture, not um, society, and maybe not even our own lives. So speaking of driving, um, I've had the pleasure the last few weeks of helping our oldest son learn how to drive a five-speed um, manual transmission. Yeah, thank you for laughing. So you understand the opportunities um, and the experiences and the memories that dr- learning how to drive stick shift um, comes with, right? Um, and so when you approach a, a vehicle, a, a stick shift vehicle, you approach it a little bit differently, don't you, than a regular automatic transmission. Um, you even use your feet in a different way, you'll start to map things out, or I do, in my mind of which route I'm going to take because I don't want to get stuck on a hill, right? And you even approach uh, stoplights in a more holier way where you start praying <laughs> that it's going to turn green, right, as, as the light is still red. But, but you, you, you look at things a lot different when you are starting to learn or teach Um, Someone had to drive a manual stick shift transmission. Um, And it's my heart today that when we look to the scriptures, that God will do that. That God will recalibrate our hearts, will, will maybe allow us to approach his scriptures, very familiar scriptures, as, as the Christmas season is here. Um, a lot of times we, we, we read the, the Christmas story and we're very familiar with the Christmas story. And sometimes that familiarity can cause us to be complacent, uh, can prevent us from, from seeing what God has us to see in his word. We know that his word is living and is active. And so I, my prayer is that as we look to the scriptures today, For us to have a gospel-driven Christmas, it's my prayer that we will prepare and we will look to the scriptures in a different way. And and I want to make this statement that I believe for us to have a gospel-driven Christmas, that we must prepare for Christmas the same way anyone in the world prepares for Christmas. Meaning, for us to prepare for the true meaning of Christmas, that what we do here in Franklin, North Carolina we can go to West Africa and do the same things preparing for Christmas. Because the gospel, it, it, it crosses cultural boundaries, social boundaries, poverty lines. The gospel is for all. And so if we're going to prepare for the true meaning of Christmas, we should be able to go anywhere in this world, to the Philippines, to Asia, to Honduras. We should be able to go anywhere and prepare for Christmas the exact same way. And for us to do that, one thing I want to do is define the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is love. God is love. And God loved and provided a way, the only way, for us to spend eternity with him. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to take our punishment for our sins. He paid the price in full and we are free from condemnation when we accept the free gift of love. God's word would tell tell us 
in this way, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the Christmas message isn't a message of hope. The Christmas message isn't a message of, of, of excitement if it's only a baby in a manger. The Christmas message comes alive when we understand that, that the Christmas message started before the birth of Jesus. And, in, and it extended further past the baby into the life of, of Jesus Christ. And not only the life of Christ, but the death, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It went to a cross. And not just a cross, but an empty tomb. And not just an empty tomb, but a throne that is occupied by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's what is exciting about Christmas. That's the message of love and of hope for Christmas. That is a gospel-driven Christmas. And for us today, I want us to look at a maybe an unlikely character. I want us to look at John the Baptist. I want us to look at his life. And I, and I believe today, as we look at his life, we will see elements, we will see truth that we can apply to our hearts, to our spiritual walk, that will prepare us, that will help us prepare for a gospel-driven Christmas. And so when we think about John the Baptist, what I want us to do is look to his parents first. Because it is a, a neat story. It is also a miraculous birth that came before the birth of Jesus himself. So John the Baptist, his parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth. And the story picks up in, in Luke chapter one. And they are old in age. And not only are they old in age, but, but Elizabeth has been barren. She's been without child this whole time. But yet they have faithfully served God. And it says that they were blameless in their, in their, in their service, in the way that they, they served the Lord. They were righteous in the sight of God. They were not sinless, but they were blameless. And it happened that while Zacharias, who was a part of the priest, when he, his, he was selected to burn incense in the holy place. He was, he was selected to, to be part of the, their, their priest, their select, was selected to be part of, of, of the temple service. And the lot fell on Zacharias to go and to burn incense. Now, it was likely that this was probably his first time and would probably be his only time that he would do this. And he goes in to burn incense. Now, he should be alone and, and probably figured that he would be alone as he goes in to, to present this sacrifice, this burnt offering, to burn the incense. And, and the story has it that he's not alone. He gets in there and all of a sudden there's an angel. And not just any angel, we will find out that it's Gabriel, right? And he, he's there and all of, all of a sudden he is struck by fear. Fear has gripped him and he is, Beside himself, the angel calls out to him and says, hey, don't, don't be afraid, but God has heard your prayers. God has seen you, right? And he, he has, has mercy on you. And he announces the birth of his son. He announces that his wife will be with child. And like any of us, he's probably wondering, not probably, he wonders, how can this 
happen? How could this be? And with that, the angel shuts his mouth. And scholars would say not only was was his mouth shut, but possibly his ears as well. And so not only mute, but also deaf. And it says that he performs his, his, his duties as priest and goes home. And then his wife conceives and has a child. And now it'll go on and, and she will meet Mary and Mary will meet Elizabeth. Mary comes because she's excited about Elizabeth. She hears about the birth, about the pregnancy. Um, and, and the baby leaps within, the mo- within Elizabeth's womb. John is full of the Holy Spirit from, from the womb till his ministry. And then we see that he is going to be circumcised on the eighth day. She gives birth and she's, he's going, they're going to circumcise, circumcise the baby. And at that time, they were naming the baby. And all the relatives and the family members are excited. They gather for, for, the, for, the, um, for the birth and for the announcement. And everyone has already named the baby Zacharias. They just knew he would be a junior. They just knew he'd follow in his father's footsteps and carry on his legacy. But the angel told him, you will name the baby John. And so from the beginning, we see this this sacrificial heart. We see this posture of obedience in the life of John through his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so they motion to John and John talks back and he gets the tablet and he writes out, his name is John. And there, his, his mouth and his tongue is opened, is, is loosened, and he starts to speak. And the first words out of his mouth, he is, he is praising God. He is glorifying God. He is thanking God and prophesying about his son and the great things that God will do in and through his life. And then we don't hear much about John until he comes back on the scene. And he's described as a man, right, clothed in camel hair, and he's living out in the desert, in in the wilderness. And he has a wild diet, right, of locusts and wild honey. And and he's a little strange. Um, But I believe if we look into his life, we're going to see some things that will prepare our hearts, will prepare our lives and posture our hearts before the Lord for a gospel-driven Christmas. And so we're gonna pick up in, in Mark chapter one. And if you can find your copy of God's word and find your place in there, would you please stand as we read the word of God? A reading from the word of God according to Mark Chapter one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching 
and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he baptized you with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. God, we know your word does not return void. And God, I pray, Lord, as we read your word, as we reason with your word, God, that you would, Lord, illuminate our hearts, our lives. God, that you would mend your word to our heart and we would respond to you in obedience, God, in awe and worship, in gratitude, in humble submission to you. Lord, I pray that I decrease and you increase. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So for a gospel-driven Christmas, we must prepare the same way that John prepared the way. We must prepare the same way that John prepared the way, how he was, was preaching the same message that Jesus himself would preach. John's life is marked with faith and obedience. It's marked with humility and selflessness, boldness and truth. And the reality is that those things just don't come easy for us, do they? Right? They, they don't come easy for us to just humbly submit to other people or our ways to other ways, or die to ourselves, or carry our cross, or, or to speak boldly when, when we're questioned about things, or when we're, we're challenged about what we believe, or why we believe what we believe. Those things don't come natural to us, and it didn't come natural to them either. We see the, the priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, right, where their pride was in the way, their status was in the way, who they were and, 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 and the legacy that they were living and all the, the training and all the hours and the time that they devoted themselves to the word. And now there's this weird guy out in the wilderness, and he's dressed in camel hair, eating some weird stuff, and all these people are now following him. You know, so we see... Like, the same problems they have, we have those same tendencies. Um, we don't get to where John is by accident. We don't get there by chance. We don't get there by drifting through life. But we get there um, one step at a time. We get there with those same elements of faith and obedience, of humility, of boldness, of truth, and of selflessness. And I, and I want to humbly start with a statement um, that I need to tell myself each and every day, and I believe will help us, too, in preparing the way the same way that John did. And that statement is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's, it's not about us. But it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And it will always be about Jesus. And John got that. And we're going to see that in some other elements. And we could dig in and we could get uh, probably 50 or 40 or 30 other elements there. But I'm just going to give us a few that happen to start with the letter R, okay? So one, we understand it's not about us, okay? John 1, 19 through 24 says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him, priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed that I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the, the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. He had an opportunity for self-exaltion, right? To, to exalt himself. He had, a, he had an opportunity to make a name for himself, to create a following, but he doesn't. He understands it's not about him. And so he's, from the very beginning, right? He is pointing others to Christ. And so we must do the same. We must recognize the Messiah. We must recognize Jesus Christ. And so for us to have a Christ-centered or a gospel-driven Christmas, we must recognize Christ. John 1.29, we read John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing out anytime, any opportunity he had, and when he saw them, when he saw Jesus himself, when he was around with others that were there to follow John, he said, behold, look, there he is. There is Jesus. There is the Messiah. Here's the one you are to follow. Here he is. And so we must too also recognize Jesus. As we recognize Jesus, as we see him for who he is, as we understand that he is holy, 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 as we understand that he is blameless and perfect in all of his ways, it does something on the inside. It reveals to us that we are sinners. It reveals to us that, man, I don't measure up. We understand that he is the Messiah and the Savior, the Redeemer, which then means... I need salvation. I need reconciliation. I need to be redeemed. I fall short. And so the next R is that we, we repent. We repent of our sin. As we recognize his holiness and goodness, it, re, it, it, it reveals to us our need. And so what do we do? We respond with repentance. We repent of our sin, right? That was the message that John was preaching. In John 1, 4, he says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of what? Repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then you know that he's preaching the right thing because a couple verses down, it says, after that, John had been taken into custody. custody. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so we see, as we understand God for who he is, it reveals of who, who we are, and we are to repent. That next step of obedience, to repent as we recognize that is our right response to a holy and gracious and forgiving and loving God to repent, to turn, that, that picture of turning away from our sin, turning away from this world and following Jesus Christ, following Christ. And then the next thing, as we repent, as, as we turn from our sin and we follow Christ, we continue to grow in that relationship and we realize it's not about us and we realize that we need to reduce ourselves. We reduce ourselves as John uh, says in John 3.30, he must, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. He understood that, that he wasn't worthy of untying the thong of his sandal. He wasn't worthy of, of, of untying 
Maybe one of the lowest of positions of a servant, because even the servants weren't asked to do that act. But the lowest of lows, right? And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie Christ's sandal. And so as we see that, and we understand his goodness and his grace, it's like, you know what? He's got it going on. He understands, right? There is life and life abundant. There is joy in this, this Jesus. There is, there is meaning and significance and purpose in this Jesus. And we gladly, humbly submit and surrender our life. And it's less of us and it's more of Jesus. And so it's no longer these lists about us and what we want. It's, it's God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. It is more about Christ and less about us. You know, that, that's, that, this is part of my heart, my prayer as a father for my children. I, I want them to be less dependent on me and more dependent on Christ. If I, if I am doing it right, if I do it right, that, that's my heart, that's the goal. At the end of the day, I want to see them receive Christ as Lord and Savior. I want them to, 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 to confess and to proclaim to this world that Jesus is my Lord, that Jesus is my King. He is my love, my all in all, not, not me. And then the last thing that we see, right? The last thing, well, there's many other things, but for today, the last thing, right, is to reflect Christ. We see, we see John do that all throughout his ministry, that he continues to, to reflect Christ. In John 3, starting in verse 26, it says, they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are going to him. All are coming to him. And John answered and he said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given, from, given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses. I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friends of the bridegroom who stand and hear him rejoice greatly because of the bride's voice. So this joy of mine is made full. And Mark 1.70 says, and he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming mightier than I, I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John continued to reflect Christ, to proclaim Christ, to give them Christ in his message. It wasn't about himself. He used his influence. He used the following to not glorify himself, to not um, influence them for, for his own popularity or his own fame. But he used that platform that God had given him as the one who would prepare the way to point others to Christ, to, to, to willingly lay down his life so that others would not see him, but that they would see Jesus Christ. And he reflected that no matter where he went. When he stood before King Herod, and he, and he understood the awful things that King Herod did as he divorced his wife and remarried his brother's wife, he used that opportunity, that platform to speak truth boldly. And that's the most loving thing that we can do is, is to speak the truth of Jesus Christ boldly 
to all those who are around us. And the statistics would show that they need that. Statistics for Macon County show that somewhere around 75% of those living in our county are either unchurched or unsaved. That's somewhere around 25,000 individuals. And if we widen that radius just a little bit, a 45-minute drive, there's somewhere around 100,000, 100,000 individuals that are near us and that don't have a church home and or are lost and don't have the gospel truth have never received that gospel truth, the good news, have never received salvation, the forgiveness of sin. And we have an opportunity this Christmas Eve Eve because the statistics would also show that uh, it's unlikely for them just to come into uh, a church, come into a church building, come into a worship setting like ours, but they are more likely to go to the Performing Arts Center the more likely to, to worship. As it is the busiest time of the year, it's one of the most attended time of the years for, for worship gatherings and services. And we have the opportunity with, with two other churches, right, to invite somebody who is close to us, a neighbor, a coworker, a student that might not step foot in this building, but would gladly go to a worship service or go to the performing arts because you've invited them. They're looking for a personal invite. And you have that opportunity for Christmas Eve Eve. What would it look like for each and every one of us to just take, bring one individual or one family? What if each church did that? Man, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a, a seat to sit in, would we? <laughs> but we would get to line the whole outside of that auditorium. That we would get to, to, to surround those that are in most need of the gospel. Right? We would be able to surround them in worship and in prayer. What a beautiful picture of a gospel-driven Christmas that would bring to this community. Will you do it? Is there someone near you that needs the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And maybe the first question is, have you received that? Have you received the free gift of the love of Jesus Christ, of his grace and his forgiveness. If you have, you've been entrusted to give that gift away, to give that good news. And the reality is you will never give it away. You will always receive it, but you will always receive more as you give, as you continue to be obedient, to, to, to give of the gospel, to give of yourself. It's beautiful how the Lord works in your life and how you receive so much more as you give. It's like we were made for that or something. Yes. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And so, you know, it's been a few weeks of, of, of driving that stick shift truck. Um, and in my mind, and I don't know, you guys know how to drive a stick shift a lot better than I do. But in my mind, it was, if we can conquer the hills, we can conquer it. And so what we did is we went to the back of the, of the church, there by the woodshed, and we stalled out, and we went, we stalled out, and we went. But then it took just a, a little bit of time, but then we heard it. We slowed down, we calmed down, and we could hear. 
We could hear that, that, that part where the, where the, tra- uh, the clutch and the gas, and you could take off the gas and it, it would stay there. And then all you had to do is just feather the, feather the gas. And when we, when we heard it, we heard it. And I don't think he stalled out since. Um, but are we listening to the Lord speak to us? Are we abiding? Because it's my heart and it's my prayer that we will hear from the Lord. And when we hear from the Lord, we respond to the Lord. Now, how will those call on the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ if they have not heard, right? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. And hearing by the what? Word Word of God. And so it's, my heart, it's my prayer that you will hear God speak to you. You will abide, whether that's in the Advent calendar reading plan, but you will abide and you will hear the Lord speak to you and you will respond. And then you will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they may hear in hopes that they too would respond to that gospel message, that they too would receive Life and life abundant in Jesus Christ. There is life in no one else, in nothing else. Many of us can testify how we have tried the things of this world and they don't measure up. It is only Christ. It is only Christ that brings significance and meaning and freedom and life and joy and peace. It is only Jesus, right? That, that we can proclaim, that, that, that would give life to others. And so how are you preparing for a gospel-driven Christmas? The band's gonna come up and lead us in a time of response. And I just ask that you respond to Christ. You respond to God and God alone. One, have you received the good, the good news? Have you received salvation in Jesus Christ? If you have not, that's your step. That's your next step. To confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior with all your heart. And then how will you continue to recognize Jesus for who he is? Each and every day we're called to repent, to turn away from ourselves, and to turn to Christ. And maybe, like me, you've been caught up in the culture and the things of this world, and it's time to just repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I've made it about myself. I turn my heart, I turn my life to you. And each day we're called to die to self and to follow Christ. And where we are and what God has given to us and who God has placed near to us, may we reflect Christ to them. So maybe you have someone on your heart to be praying for and that's who you wanna come and pray from your seat or pray here from the altar. Whatever it is, I ask that you will respond, but respond to God, not for man and not for anyone else. Let's stand and go to a time of response and worship.